Well, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our walk through this book on Christ and the church. I loved what Stephanie shared this morning when she talked about the voice of the Lord. This is the voice of God. When we read this, God's voice is speaking to us. Read with me chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 1, even though our passage is 3 through 14. But I want to start in verse 1 because it is still connected. There, it's, there were no chapter divisions in the original Greek. The letter just flowed. And so it was the translators who came up with chapter divisions. So... They're not inspired. They're there for our, us to, to be helped in at least getting our arms around each of the sections. But look in verse 1 with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. As children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of the Lord of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father, you just spoke to us. You spoke to us by your voice. Thank you for your inspired word. Thank you that you do speak to your children and you speak. It is current. It is relevant. It is life giving. It is life changing. It is hope filling. Lord, thank you for your voice. And now as we 
listen to your voice more as we study these words that you have spoken to us. Lord, please help us to see where we need to listen better. Help us to see what you have done for us. Help us to meet Christ this morning. Help me, Father, to shepherd your people this morning, to love them this morning through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At the Smithsonian Institute, the uh, Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., there is a book. That book was placed there a long, long time ago. And it was a book owned by a man named Thomas Jefferson, our second president of the United States. And that book is the Bible. And it was Thomas Jefferson's version of the Bible where he went through and took a penknife and cut out every passage that was offensive to him. He didn't like what it said. It offended his sensibilities. And so he did what he knew to do. He cut it out. This is a sobering passage and one that would be easily cut out as we take this truth, this voice of God speaking to us and apply it to ourselves. It's, it's, not, it's not one of those feel-good verses. It's, it's a verse that probably does not appear in Thomas Jefferson's Bible. But it appears in ours. But it's not just a sobering passage. It is also a hope-filled passage. Now imagine being a fairly new Christian. Strolling through the streets of ancient Ephesus. A city that we have talked about as one one of the key chief cities in ancient Asia Minor at that time. A city that held one of the seven wonders of the world, the, the temple of Diana, the goddess of sex, the, the place where worship and temple prostitutes lived, where idols made of silver and gold and wood and stone were sold among the streets in worship of this idol, in worship of this so-called God. And imagine being a new Christian strolling through those streets with all the busy activity where, where these idols, these wooden idols are being sold, where there's music playing and there's worship going on from this grand ancient wonder of the world, this temple of Diana, or some is called the temple of Artemis. The sights and sounds for these new Christians would be very familiar But nothing to them looks and feels quite the same anymore. Because they don't see life like they used to. Immorality and greed and covetousness and filthiness and crudeness and foul speech are, are no longer appealing to them. It's not the world in which they live anymore. 
Something dramatic and miraculous has happened. They've been, they've been changed. Christ has rescued them from their old life. And they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. As we have been. They have new life in Christ and their world has been completely turned upside down. And, and Paul catalogs this throughout Ephesians. He, he tells them that they are now alive in Christ. He tells them that they are redeemed. He tells them that they are objects of mercy. They are reconciled to God. They are forgiven. They are now beloved children of God. This new kingdom that they are in is very different than the one that they've left. There is now a new freedom and a new hope and a totally new way of living. No longer are these men and women dead in sin. They're no longer sons of disobedience. They're no longer immoral. They're no longer children of wrath. They're no longer slaves of the devil. They are no longer corrupted, but they are incorruptible in Christ. They have completely changed. What hasn't changed is the world in which they live in and face every day. And that is the same for us. When we first moved to Charlotte 16 years ago, near our house, near the what was then called Charlotte Motor Speedway, now Lowe's Motor Speedway, if you're into NASCAR, that's a big deal to you. And I'm not into NASCAR, so that is not a big deal to me. But right near, right near the speedway, just, just a mile from the speedway, they built the number one tourist attraction in the state of North Carolina. Year in and year out, this is the number one tourist attraction. And it's right near our house where we used to live in Charlotte. Can anybody guess what that tourist attraction is? It's a mall. It's called Concord Mills Mall. It is like Potomac Mills or Anne Arundel Mills. It is a mall. The number one tourist attraction. Well, one of the reasons is, is that when you have 200,000 race fans in for four weeks out of the year, the mall is absolutely packed. And I remember the day they opened the mall and all of North Carolina decided to visit that day. And my children wanted to go to the mall. And so we took them to the mall and I was like a deer caught in the headlights. It was just sights and sounds and thousands of people and smells from the food court and, and just everything everywhere. It was just an overwhelming experience. And the city of Ephesus was like that. It was a mall of evil with sights and sounds and enticements that these Ephesian believers encountered every day. Homer Kent in his commentary describes it so well this way. He says, as Christians living in a pagan world, these readers as well as present day believers, these the Ephesian Christians were breathing the atmosphere of ungodliness. They were breathing the atmosphere of ungodliness. And alarmingly, 
Paul's reason for even including this section in his letter to the Ephesian church is because some were literally drifting back into their old way of life. The life that they had lived in, the the kingdom of darkness that they had come out of, the enslavement that they had been freed from, they were returning. They were going back. And they needed these sobering and strong words to pull them back from where they were headed. The bridge from ancient Ephesus to us today is not as wide as we might think. The world that surrounds us is a mall of evil filled with enticements and evil attempts to bring us back to where we once were. And Paul's words are there to love us. Paul's words as a loving friend, as a loving shepherd, are an appeal and a warning and an exhortation that says we cannot bring these evil things into Christ's kingdom. We cannot. Here's my proposition for you this morning. I finally obeyed Nora and have sent it to her so that you can put it up on the screen. And my wife. And about a, a number of others. Have nothing to do with these evil ways any longer. They belong to a life that is lived where the gospel and its teaching are not in control. Have nothing to do with these evil ways any longer. They belong to a life lived where the gospel and its teaching are not in control. And that's what Paul was after. These Ephesians, some of these Ephesian Christians were living a life where the gospel and its teaching were not in control. They had gone back. They were partners once again. So, four points for you this morning. Do not forget who you are in Christ. These are points that I think will help us fight against the enemies that want us to to go back, the enemies of the world in which we live, the body in which we live, and a spiritual enemy who is bent on our destruction. And Paul uses both negative and positive truth to protect us. And he does it this way. He tells us, don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't go back to your old life. Don't ignore the warnings and the wonders of grace. Don't become dull to the gospel. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5 with me. Paul writes, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. To see sexual immorality, impurity, 
and covetousness in the same sentence as saints. Paul's admonition, his exhortation is we must fiercely reject the old things that speak of sinners, not of saints. That you are a saint. Don't. Paul, Paul doesn't just drop the word saint in there accidentally. It's on purpose. It is meant to catch their attention, to open their eyes. You are saints. You are saints. You've been set apart. We're characterized in this passage, not just as saints, but as children of light and as saints in Christ. Our lives cannot be characterized by evil behavior. The one grand objective of Christianity and salvation is to make us holy. Ephesians 1.4, we talked about a few months ago, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the grand objective of your salvation. That you would be holy and blameless as you stand before Christ. Remember the, as my girls were growing up, my children and specifically, specifically my girls, I just told them at a very, very early age that on their wedding day, dad wants to look at them in the eye before we walk up the aisle. And once he stops crying, he wants to look at them and say, no regrets. And have them look back and say, no, daddy, no regrets. That that thought would protect them from any temptations and enticements that they might face as they got older. As they walked into a world where there was a mall of evil around them. And I remember both times looking at my girls saying no regrets. And with the biggest smiles, my daughter's looking back saying, yeah, dad, no regrets. That's what Paul wants here. He wants you to remember that you're saints. And that these things are to be no regrets. To not look back on your life. You are a saint. We are holy. We are blameless. We are the righteousness of Christ in God. And we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is both the now and the not yet. In Ephesians 2, we're told that we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus created to do good works. That is what saints do. We do good works. And Paul says it here, we must do only the things that are proper among saints. And he attacks, he addresses the very things that they used to do that were improper, that they are tempted to go back to or might have gone back to and reminds them of who they are. You are not the sexually immoral anymore. You are not the impure anymore. You are not 
the coveting people that you used to be anymore. You are saints. Live as a saint. We must, to be a saint, anchor our life in truth, that we are in Christ. That is Paul's that is Paul's common theme throughout this, this wonderful letter. And especially in the first three chapters, he keeps talking about in him, in him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in him. That's who we are. Paul says, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what God has done. Don't forget who you are. Let us never forget that we are in Christ. We don't want to pursue this holiness out of obligation, out of a desire to be morally perfect, pursuing holiness other than the motivation of being in Christ. And as we actually read in in verse 2 of of chapter 5, and walk in love as Christ has loved us. We are are pursuing holiness. We're pursuing working out our salvation with fear and trembling because we love God. That's our motivation. And if it's anything but that, all we lean towards is moralism and legalism. We create rules and regulations. Don't do this and don't do that. And it is appropriate to say, don't do this and don't do that. Because that is what Paul is saying here. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't be a coveter. Don't be an idolater. Don't be impure. Don't use filthy speech. Don't use crude language. Don't do those things, yes, but why? Because we love Christ. So Paul first tells us, don't forget who you are. You're a saint. But secondly, in verses 3 and 4, he says this. Not only are you saints, in verse 4 he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He tells us that we are not to go back to our old life. But the sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness. Don't go back to where you once were. Proverbs 26 describes it this way. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, I don't quite get the dog thing. I could see cats doing that. I don't like cats. But it just seems, this. it's just, if you've ever seen a dog doing something, it's just, it's just gross. It is just, unpleasant it is just just 
turn away from it. And this is exactly what Paul is commanding these Ephesians not to do. Don't go back. Don't go back. Not not even the first step. Don't go back. We must not go back to sexual immorality. And here, Paul is referring specifically to adultery. And then he talks about impurity. So he he expands his definition, pornography and fornication and just an immorality of life and covetousness, greed and love of money and filthiness, obscenity or profane speech or foolish talk, not gossip and slander or crude joking. Now, he's not denying humor. We need humor. But there is a level of humor that Paul says we must never go to. These warning passages, these sins are so wicked and perverse that that Paul boldly states that we must not even let the details of them enter our conversation. They must not even be named among you. can imagine the saints of Ephesus sitting down excitedly waiting as one of their pastors began to read Paul's letter and he's just reminding them in chapter 1 of being chosen in Christ and sealed by the Spirit in chapter 2 that once they were dead and sinned and now they're alive in Christ and chapter 3 that God will do abundantly and exceedingly beyond all they can ask or think and chapter 4 don't walk in a manner unworthy of the gospel but you can walk and then he gets to chapter 5 and it's not chapters then but he's reading and all of a sudden he gets here and I could just see some of those Ephesian believers squirming in their seats some calling for a bathroom break This is not comfortable. The details of these sins were so wicked and perverse, they must not even be named among them. But Paul reminds them, and he reminds us, this, as we remember in chapter 4, verse 20, Paul writes, but that is not the way you learned Christ. This is not how we learned Christ. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. That is not what we learned of Christ. That is not how we learned when we responded to the gospel, when God regenerated us. That is not how we learned Christ. And you know, you might think, how could possibly, how could somebody go back to this? How could somebody live this way but some did some in the Ephesian church did and don't be surprised when some in our church might or in other churches it's happened in every age it's happened in every church Christian men and women struggling once again with idolatry and Paul Paul 
is strong. Jonah 2.8, and it's the NIV version. I love the way it says it, is that do not cling to worthless idols and forfeit the grace that is yours. Do not cling to worthless idols and forfeit the grace that is yours. So Paul is pleading, don't go back. Don't forget who you are and don't go back to the life that you once had. The third thing is, do not ignore the warnings and the wonders of grace. These are sober warnings of what happens if we leave Christ and return to our old way of life. And Paul is addressing those whose life now characterize a pattern and rejection of Christ and his commands. He's not, he's not talking to those who have struggled with sin and are battling against sin. And he's not talking to those who, you know, yeah, I, I did. I, I, I looked at a woman and I, I did. I have lust in my heart and I, I felt guilty and convicted over it. That, that's, who he's not, that's not who he's talking to. He's talking to those who have returned to a pattern and consistency and lifestyle of living the way they once did. Paul, Paul wonderfully in these warnings where he says in verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he keeps on warning, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Empty, deceiving words. Words that saying, hey, it's not that bad. And you, it's only once. It's not that important. It's only a little bit. And others come alongside and want to include you in to their pathway of evil. Paul warns, and he does not want us to ignore the warnings. Let no one deceive you. And verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, you were partners with them. But now, after he warns them, He reveals to them the wonders of grace. He says, but now you are light in the Lord. Now you are children of light. Now you can discern what is pleasing to God. Now you can expose what is in darkness. Because you are light rather than being exposed yourself. Don't ignore the warnings and don't ignore the wonders of grace. And he goes on to warn them, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. For it is, again, shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is 
light. Now, all of us struggle with sin. All of us face the temptations that were ours prior to coming to Christ. And some things we're not tempted by anymore, but we face the temptations. There are just some weaknesses in our lives, whether it's, it is, it's an issue of lust or it's an issue of a love of money or an issue of anger, impatience. Um, I mean, I, I know that God is at work in this dear church. He's at work in me. He's at work in me because I have to drive on the roads here. He's at work in me because He created school buses for my own sanctification. He created people who like to drive 10 miles under the speed limit for my own sanctification. I wouldn't have created those people. I've got a, I've, I've got a place for those people. And I just and, and Marilyn is right there, and she is trying to be a voice of reason. And sometimes that works, and sometimes that doesn't work. There are things that just still tempt me today. My impatience to be someplace. There are other things that tempt me, whether it's a fear or just a love of money. And Paul. Paul's aware that that is happening among the Ephesian church members. But it's those who have turned away from Christ, who are sons of disobedience, who are children of wrath once again, because the wrath of God has come upon them. They are those who have walked back into darkness rather than living in the light. And Paul not just warns them, but he tells them of the wonders of grace. That when we do sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we are children of light. We are saints. We are people who can be proper. We are people who do not have to speak like we once spoke. Paul is clear. Don't ignore the warnings and the wonders of grace. And finally, Paul says, do not become dull to the gospel. Verse 14, he says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, there's debate. Is that an old Christian hymn? Or is it a combining of Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 60, which I tend to to lead towards. In a sense, Paul is paraphrasing Old Testament passages, but the point is, is that Paul is saying, hey, 
Listen, not only are you to awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. I mean, it is, a, it is a call to those who don't know Christ, come and respond to Christ. It's a call to those who do know Christ, who have kind of gotten a bit dull and fallen asleep at the wheel. Years ago, when I lived here in Montgomery County, it was about 40 years ago, um, I lived in Lay Hill. I had friends in Gaithersburg and we hung out all the time and I would drive Muncaster Mill and Snoffer School Road when nothing existed on Muncaster Mill and Snoffer School Road. There was the only thing that was there was a High's Dairy Store. And I know that because they had these little ice cream fudge things that I loved and I would always stop at the Highs Dairy Store. And I don't even think Highs exists anymore, but I would stop there. But this was nothing there. But I would do this trip. I did it for almost three years, back and forth, back and forth. And oftentimes, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, hanging out with my buddies and doing the things that I was doing. And there were many nights, not just a few, there were many nights where I left Gaithersburg. I left Montgomery Village. That was when Montgomery Village was actually a real village. And it didn't expand through the entire state of Maryland. And, and I remember the, the frightening feeling as I pulled into the driveway and not remembering the entire trip. I would pull in the driveway and not remember one bit of the roadway I had just driven on. I had just become so familiar with that part of the road, so familiar with the drive that I don't know if my mind shut off, I was asleep, um, I was just dull. I don't know what happened. I cannot explain it to this day. I just remember, in a sense, waking up in my driveway, having driven this road time after time. It was, it was a frightening experience. And it is similar that we can do the same with the gospel. That we know it so well. We love it. We speak about it. We tell each other about the gospel. Yeah, the gospel is going to help you. Listen to the gospel. But in reality... It's, we, we've, it's just the same familiar road that we've driven time and time again. And we don't really remember much along the way. And Paul, awake. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Christ has been shining on you. Christ does shine on you. Christ is in you. Christ has awakened us from death. His light has shined upon us. We are children of God. And that light, we are children of light. We walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in in all that is good and right and true. And in Christ, we are good and right and true. Don't. Don't become dull to the gospel. Don't become dull to the gospel. When we speak to one another, let's speak in ways that 
remind them of the gospel to their specific situation. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about speaking the truth in love. It's not about speaking truth to the things we see wrong in somebody's life. That's not what that passage means. That passage, speaking the truth in love, means that we are to speak the gospel to one another. When I see you struggling with fear, I want to tell you that Christ is with you. When I see you struggling with sin, I want to remind you that if you confess your sin, Jesus is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you are in bondage, feeling in bondage and no way out to sin, I want to remind you of Romans 6. Sin no longer has dominion over you. That's the gospel I want to tell you. That's the truth that I want to speak to you. Don't forget who you are. You're a saint. Don't go back to who you once were. A pagan living in darkness. Don't forget the warnings and wonders of grace. And don't become dull to the gospel. How do we apply this? Well, I think Paul gives us in this passage two antidotes, in a sense, to guard against our our temptations. It's, I think it's Proverbs 4.23. It's, and again, the NIV states it so well. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. And so the two Two just application points. One, because of the gospel, we can speak rightly. And Paul tells us that in verse 4. He said, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. He says, how do you fight this temptation to immorality? Well, what is the immorality? It's just the seeking after pleasure. It's going after something that you think is going to fulfill you. It's wanting something that God has not given you. That's the, that's the end result of adultery. You're just taking what's not yours because God has not given it to you. Rather than being thankful for what God has provided. The same with being a covetous person. A love of money. A love of material things. We just... We just want, and so we, we buy what God has not provided. Rather than asking, as James tells us, we become idolaters. We just love something more than God. And Jonah tells us, when we do, we forfeit the grace that is ours. So speak rightly. Speak thanksgiving. That's what we did last night as we talked as couples. We just thanked God for what He has done here at Grace Church. We thanked God for you. And we were naming people individually and who they were and what they had done and how we were so grateful. We were thanking God. And secondly, yeah, we can... Because of the gospel, we can speak rightly. rightly, And because of the gospel, we can live rightly. Paul tells us in in Ephesians 5, in verse 8, he says, Walk as children 
of light. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And when he talks about walking, it is literally speaking that live your life. Walk through life. Walk through your days with thankfulness in your heart. Walk through your days as children of light. Because as children of light, not only do you expose darkness, but you bring others to the light. Which is what Grace Church is all about. Our mission is to see others come to faith in Christ. And so when we walk in the light, we are light. We see people come to the light. And when they hear us speak with thanksgiving in our hearts, not being immoral, not being covetousness, not being crude in our language, when we speak with thanksgiving, they see God. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a gift we've been given. We've been given Christ. You walk out of here today, you you walk out into a mall of evil. And you know what? You're surrounded by Christ. He lives in you. He has sealed His Spirit in you. He has empowered you. He has given you grace. He has given you wisdom. He has... Paul says here, he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You have the ability now to discern the difference between right and wrong. Whereas before you were a believer, you didn't know the difference between right and wrong. Not in God's kingdom. Every man was right in his own eyes back prior to coming to faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't Ignore the wonders of grace.